You're listening to Not Another Origin Story, the comic book movie podcast. I'm your host, Pogues, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Benjamin Chapman. Hi, it's me, Ben, and I don't know, I have to come up with a catchphrase, because this is, this is just a mini so. But it still feels like that was a catchphrase. Oh, shit! <laughs> oh, Pogues, it's good to be back. Um, uh, I really enjoyed our last episode with my wonderful wife, uh, Sarah. We did, A fan course. favorite. Yes. I believe. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say she has spawned our one and only T-shirt, so I think that that really makes sense. Um, that is true, and she has, I think, uh, one of the episodes she's on is our most listened to episode. There we go. Uh, we covered the hit Wonder Woman. Uh, it's an interesting uh, episode, in my opinion. I think it's really good because it requires us to um, not just rely on mocking uh, shitty set design and bad script dialogue because it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there was better, uh, more actual film critique as far as like choices of filmmaking versus like boy this movie sure was terrible so if you saw wonder woman or you're curious about it um don't listen if it's the second one because he'll spoil the story i mean oh yeah all of the story don't let me tell you what to do but (laughs) spoil it i don't know what do you want from me but i highly recommend going back and listening to that episode if you haven't uh as always we are back here on the mini episode for one very good reason, and that is to let you know what we will be doing next. Before we do, Pogues, uh, I don't believe there's any housekeeping. <laughs> uh, no, I, I didn't see any commentary about the Wonder Woman episode, so we'll just assume that that was because of universal praise. Although I will say, completely unrelated to the Wonder Woman episode, uh, if you are listening to us at the top of the episode and you haven't moved on to the next episode of This American Life or whatever, um, uh, I would highly encourage you to... Share this podcast. Uh, share, yes. share it on Facebook. Share it on Twitter. Hell, give us one of those iTunes reviews. You know, just like the two sentence guy, it's fine. Uh, those all help us out. Um, you know, we're not super great at promotion. We've both admitted that to ourselves. And uh, and uh, sometimes just moments ago, just moments ago. So we could really use your help to make sure this podcast that has quality content and has games that I come up with beforehand, as well as research that we do before each episode. I think we deserve a little bump from you. So help us out. Yeah. Yeah. So any help you can give us, spread it around. Uh, you know, just think the more popular they get, the more likely Ben can replace me with someone funny. Even, so just think about it that way. Even just like like the Facebook page so it like pops up in other people's feeds. Just anything is great. So uh, we would highly appreciate it. Yes. Uh, with that yeah. with that said, it's time to announce the new movie, Pogues. Would you like the honors? Oh, uh, sure. I, I think that this movie is going to be this going to be a, de- a divisive one. I think because this movie is such a classic. Yeah, you did say so it was. So many people love it so much. You did say it was your favorite film um, that we'll ever do here on this podcast, and I have that written down here in those exact words. So you know, which I, I'm you know we were recording before this, so I, it's fine. I could prove otherwise. But the point is. <laughs> We're going to do Wait, are, a movie I did are, not enjoy. Are you, are you trumping? Are you are you trumping me? Are you saying you think that you have tapes? Yeah, I have tapes. Possibly, I don't know. Maybe this. I don't know if the recorder's working. I've but... always thought we had a Trump Comey relationship. Um, so... I'm not sure if I'm offended by which one I am. Because so, I, you know, it's hard to go there. Neither one of them is very likable. <laughs> so moving on from one unmitigated hot garbage fire that anybody could have stopped at any point, it's time to announce our new movie. <laughs> the 1994 classic, The Shadow, starring Alec Baldwin, a young 
you know, fit Alec Baldwin. Fucking chiseled, chiseled jaw Baldwin. Yes, and this film is bad. I saw this movie when I was not even a teenager, judging by the time frame it came out, and uh, not good. I remember being very confused leaving the theater, being like, that was a very good movie. I also recalled seeing it, not sure when, but I would have been nine when this came out. So uh, I imagine I saw it somewhere in my formative years, and um, I think it did some, some real damage. I think it really had a ripple effect. Up until now. Yeah, it made you hate everything from yeah. the 40s or 30s. Or I'm not even sure, actually. I think The Shadow started in, like, the 1920s. But I think I could have been, a, the basic I think I could have been like, a surgeon. But every time I sat down with, like, a medical textbook, I went, oh, Alec Baldwin, that, that scene. <laughs> or I don't just... understand why the villain had to be, you know, Kublai Khan's son or great-grandson. And just like, That's a dumb plot. Just, like, bring more than one light to the set. Just, Just, like, more than one. <laughs> one of the set pieces is he's drowning in a gigantic bullet or something. I don't know what the fuck it is. I just remember he's stuck in a gigantic metal casing. So also Tim Curry's good. in it, not overacting at all. No, said no one. <laughs> no, no, no. As is Ian. Shockingly, do you know who else is in this? Ian film? McKellen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ian McKellen, like, is a great actor. But has a really bad agent who's just like, no, it's going to be great. You're going to – or like he was like, I loved The Shadow when I was young. And then he got the set and he was like, I've made a series of mistakes <laughs> that I feel very bad about. This is a really interesting movie because we've covered a lot like this because this is obviously comes out before we establish the current sort of boom of superhero movies, which have all sort of snapped into a general formula, you know – good or bad uh there's obviously these little weird little spatters of movies that we've covered that took place in the 80s and 90s that were uh you know not like this but like, like the superman the batmans but like the, just like these little one-off little like pulp comic books or whatever that that made it to the to the to the to the screens and they they tend to go real weird <laughs> yeah it is like interesting because this movie came out not that far apart from the phantom and it, it just makes you wonder, like, who in Hollywood was sitting down and thought, you know what's, you know what's, like, the time is ripe for? Is movie adaptions of radio dramas. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Characters it's... based on comic books that were turned into radio plays. And it's just like, you're just like, I, I don't, I can't figure out why they thought this was going to be a moneymaker. Because by then, it's 50 years after these things were popular. So, you know, I mean, it's not like it was still prescient people weren't like still really into the shadow (laughs) yeah in case you didn't know the shadow was uh uh, first first debuted as a radio drama in 1930 it moved its way into having its own series uh after being part of like some smaller like detective story series in like the late 30s and then eventually in like 1940 actually i think on the dot it became a um a comic book serial uh, and then, you know, then then became known uh, f- for quite some time as being very popular. And a lot of people, including the creators of Batman, have cited it as being a major influence in this. And that surprises no one, considering the character's caped, shadow-lurking nature. Um, yes. Uh, but <laughs> the, also, do you know the radio drama was voiced by Orson Welles? I I, I realized that yes. recently. I didn't yeah. know that. I had no idea. Anyway, I have actually watched a really old one of the old like serials they did of this thing, and it is absurd. 
So the thing is that, you know, like always, I, I dug up some background on the director and the writer, and I tend to be often quite surprised by this, and this one was really uh, a Hall of Famer in terms of surprise. I think we both discovered A real head-scratcher yeah. of, like, a director whose one is career is just very fascinating in general, <laughs> Um, who like basically got to start directing music videos in the 80s. But not just like any. He directed almost every single one of Elton John, uh, as well as many of Duran Duran. Uh, the music videos, uh, the, the, the Buggles uh, video killed the radio star, a couple of Queen music videos, like some really big deal shit in the world of music videos. And then went on to direct like a bunch of fucking amazing movies. Like went on... To direct um, uh, uh, the Highlander film, which I have a particular uh, penchant for, and then oh, I'm a big fan of the original Highlander, dumb as shit, still right. love it. And then he went on to direct well Highlander two, as well as which not is good, as well as like Resident Evil Extinction, and and uh, a bunch of episodes of the almost every episode of the Teen Wolf television series. Yeah, very odd, which is, I was like, I, that's what he's known for. And I was like, does anybody even remember that MTV made a Teen Wolf TV? So like, I mean, the guy could, he, had, he has a bunch of other credits. You couldn't pick one other one. But, but he, I mean, he's had a very interesting career. Yeah, Tales from the Crypt, uh, the TV show, Queer as Folk, uh, uh, Skin. Like, he worked on all these, like, pretty popular TV shows for a good, like, a good chunk of episodes. And... My personal favorite is that he is responsible for one of the greatest things ever to be put on celluloid, which is um, <laughs> which is the the film about a wild, uh, gigantic warthog terrorizing <laughs> the outback. As uh, they do, called I Razorback. Think. It's an it's an Australian movie considered to be part of the Ozploitation period of film. A personal favorite of mine, which also resulted in the Mad Max franchise. Um, it's considered to be actually kind of a good movie, despite its absurdity. Uh, I've seen it a, a while back in college, and I fucking loved it. Um, also, and just as a complete side note, um, if you haven't heard of this movie, either A, watch it, and or B, watch the background uh, uh, film documentary about it, which is called uh, Not Quite Hollywood. It's um, it's all about the Ozploitation era of, of Australia when they, like, laxed on a bunch of... <laughs> a bunch of like restrictions on what could be in a film so there's just like tits everywhere and like doing spy thrillers and blowing people's heads up like it's just it's absolute madness for like a period of time and it resulted in uh some of the best <laughs> some really insane movies some of the best australian films you'll ever hear about <laughs> yeah other than the crocodile dundee films um, but as we were talking about this as well, Pogues, it's the director is uh, the the writer of the of the script of this film is David Cope, I believe his name is. And I think that's how you say. And he did like Mission Impossible. <laughs> he he has written like all right. One he wrote he's the writer credited with writing Jurassic Park, although I think there's more than one writer. But still, he he wrote Jurassic Park. He did the first Mission Impossible. He did the really bad sequel to to Jurassic Park, but he wrote like Snake Eyes, which is also not a very good movie. But what's shocking is he wrote Spider-Man, the 2002 film, which me and Ben have gone on record as saying we think is a pretty good superhero we, film. We have called it sort of the archetype to shoot for, where they really nail the formula in terms of origin story, power explanation, a character arc, single villain uh, uh, yeah, the balance. introduction of a villain without it being absurd or bad. 
Yeah, and then having a climactic finale sequence. I mean, just all the hallmarks of a good superhero movie. Uh, and he's at least partially responsible for that structure. So it's interesting that we're going to be covering him doing uh, this movie. Yeah, maybe, maybe this is where he learned all the lessons of what not to do. Oh, did we mention like, – He was like, ooh – did we mention that he also was responsible, for, or at least uh, partially responsible, for Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? So it really, I think he's, I, just judging from his, like, movie list, it feels like he writes a good movie, and then a bad movie, and then, like, a good movie, and then a bad movie. He also wrote 2017's The Mummy, which, if you've been reading the reviews, <laughs> not great. In a shocking turn of events, who knew... Universal's attempt to create a shared universe of their old monsters would not be the jam-packed hit of the summer. Oh, the Darkverse. It'll take off soon, I hope, right? Uh, I mean, so insane that they were just like, reuse half of the Brendan Fraser movie, but just replace him with Tom Cruise and it's in the modern era. No, no, nothing stupid about this. So, I'm looking forward to seeing this because I remember it being awful, and I'm waiting to see if it's as bad as I recall. <laughs> And just a shot, I mean, from people that it is very shocking, like, I, I feel like sometimes IMDb is, like, just sort of like a mind-blowing experience when you watch, like, a terrible movie, and you're like, wow, I wonder who wrote that, and then you go look it up, and it's, like, the guy who wrote The Godfather or something, and you're just like, wait, I don't understand, what happened to these people? <laughs> oh. So, I do feel like this, this Spider-Man may have been, like, him being like, no, now I understand how superhero films work, I read all those reviews from uh, from the shadow, I see everything I did wrong. Uh, well, I think that does it for uh, background on the uh, the shadow. Um, so just uh, just the the final no uh, couple of couple of notes. I wanted to share some news with you, Pogues. I don't know if you have any news for me. Uh, it's we'll okay. see. What's your news? It's okay if you don't. Um, uh, the I think the, the simplest one to get out of the gate first, and I'm going to keep it real vague because I don't want to spoil this for anybody. Not that there really aren't that many spoilers out. But um, Spider-Man Homecoming early reviews have hit the internet, and they've all been pretty aggressively positive. So uh, that doesn't necessarily mean a lot. Who knows who is given an early review as someone who did a little bit of video game review in my time. You know, sometimes the people who get the reviews is a little uh, intentional. So, you know, you never quite know. Yeah, and, and sometimes the reason you get the early review is because you promised them to write a good review, so they let you see the movie. So, you know, you give it a good review, they let you see it, you get to be the first paper to report, or, you know, website to report on it. So, yeah, sometimes I feel like early reviews are hard to... Very true. Gauge. You are not wrong, but... Uh, it, it is promising to hear about uh, this early on, and I'm excited because uh, I think we've talked about the uh, we talked a number of times about the the, the various trailers coming out, and I think we're all uh, pretty pretty excited about it. Oh, I also heard a clarifying note from uh, the director that um, in response to some of the the, the words he heard about the trailers is that um, Tony Stark does not have as big of a role as you might think based on the trailers because in it it looks I like it's almost like Iron Man Iron Man like four or whatever yeah I feel like that the trailer is 90 percent of Tony Stark's role in the movie. like I feel like you're gonna watch it and be like wow they really just stuck his part of the film like in the trailer because they're like he's in it for two and a half minutes how long do we need to make a trailer people seem to really like him 
Uh, yeah, so I'm excited about that. Uh, the other little bit of note I had for you, if you have not heard about it yet, um, is that we're hearing lots of very good things uh, in in terms of the preliminary work being done on a potential reboot of the Hellboy franchise. Um, yes. We talked about the director I, I... briefly, who is known for one of my favorite horror movies, The Descent, as well as some insane, awesome shit like Dog Soldiers. <laughs> um, oh, I love that movie. Uh, he is, uh, is a pretty cool guy. He came out of a podcast recently um uh called the postmortem podcast about uh horror and stuff like that and uh he said specifically that it's going to be an r-rated film for sure and that uh as he put it directly it's definitely going to be as much practical effects as we can possibly make i love to do stuff in camera whenever i can possibly and use cg as a tool to enhance what's already been done and i'm like oh i couldn't describe a better way to make a movie that's my I'm not against CG as as long as you know the actors aren't filming an entirely green goddamn room for the whole film. Um, so but I think that's good because that's one of the things we both commented when we did Hellboy that we liked was all of the practical effects were cool. Yes. All of the CGI was not so cool. <laughs> yes. But we liked so much of the movie being practical effects. I also saw that he said, yeah, that it's going to be – rated r and that there's going to be like it's going to be a violent film which yes. will be more in line with the hellboy series if you've read it he kills people and you know, since he is very hard to kill he constantly is you know being near beaten to death and so i'm I'm still holding out a lot of hope i'm hoping it's good because as we all know uh hellboy is, is probably he's easily in my top three comic book characters if not my favorite comic book character so fingers crossed um, I had news that I was going to tell you. Oh, when you were talking about the Spider-Man movie, have you seen the weird back and forth between Sony and Marvel about the Venom film? No. What is this? Well, apparently, uh, when they announced the Venom film, they talked about it, and somebody was interviewing Kevin Feige, the, the guy who runs Marvel's cinematic universe. He's been in since like the very beginning, and he's sort of the one who convinced marvel to be like we could do this as a studio and instead of selling these characters we'll keep them and just work with a studio to to make the movies and he kind of like was really instrumental in getting that done they asked him they said will the venom movies tie into the spider-man movie and he said no the sony films do not tie into the mcu like three days later sony came out and was at a the, they were talking about the venom films and they said yeah they tie into the mcu and then at a separate like conference later, they were being interviewed, and somebody brought that up and said, well, Feige says that they, they don't. And they're like, oh, no, they, they did it. They like doubled down on their statement to be like, no, no, it ties into the MCU. That's so and odd. He came out, yeah, and he came out, and he was like, I don't know why they keep saying that it does not tie at all yeah. into our Spider-Man or the MCU. And, they, and then somebody said, does that mean that Venom will never be – in the mcu and he said no it just means that their venom movie has nothing to do with our our cinema universe he said you know i'm, I'm never going to say it's impossible that venom could be in the mcu but it's like so weird that sony would just be like i guess let's just keep saying it and hope they let it be true you know what i mean because it's just like why would they try to like say that it's very odd and supposedly the rumor is for that film is it's venom and the bad guy will be carnage which i think is a weird starting point you know what i mean with no like because are they gonna have they're gonna have to do venom's origin i i would assume somehow 
and then they introduce like yeah. Carnage, which is like a weird. Yeah, I mean, you got to really know a lot about how Venom works for Carnage to make sense, unless right. they change his origin. Yeah, and so it, it's and sort of an odd choice. Venom's tough because it, it it tends to force directors to do like a full CGI character made of ink. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, like and honestly, if they don't make that film like R-rated, I don't know how they could really do it well. Yeah, I mean, because he's just like a honk, uh, like a, I was going to say a honky monster, a hulking monster, you know what I mean? With like, you know, if you ever read the comic, it's pretty violent by comic book standards. So, and then if you introduce Carnage, he's literally a serial killer who's just running around, but he's like a mass, I guess he's more of a mass murderer. And he's just murdering tons of people in New York City. That's the, the Carnage story. So it's sort of odd that, like, I'm like, that's an odd choice for both a villain and just the, I still think the whole thing's somewhat odd, but... So we'll have to see how that ends up shaking down. Uh, so that was it. That was my little news for you. I just wanted to see if you – because I thought it was just very funny that Sony was just like, we keep saying <laughs> it until Marvel agrees. Well, I think that covers it for uh, this mini-sode. Uh, so join us next week when we have our Shadow episode, and we can tell you all about whether or not that – excellent jawline from our man is gonna make up for that i can tell you it's mostly covered by a scarf and a prosthetic nose son of a (laughs) it's an odd choice that you cast a a man at the peak of his like attractiveness and you're just like how much of his face can we cover so we'll find out what evil lurks in the hearts of men uh next week we'll see you then we start a new podcast about the baldwins just like you know alec baldwin Alec Baldwin.